dopamine swipe, dopamine, dopamine swipe. Follow us, likes, double tap. Now they control your life. What is going on, people? Welcome back to the 817 Podcast, where we talk about the lovely city of Fort Worth, Texas. We're talking politics, business, culture, trends, you name it. We talk about all of it. And uh, today we have one of our favorites, Tony Hernandez in the house. What's up, my man? Hey, Welcome back to the pod. Yeah, good to be back. Good to be back so soon. Yeah, you know, you know, Jimmy's in Cancun. At least that's what he says. I convinced that he's a part of the FBI who's trying to get Trump, and that's why he keeps losing. <laughs> yeah, I think I think so, man. I think I think he lives a double life. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, he's always gone doing something. You know, and I don't and I don't know what it is. So yeah. you know, Jimmy is not here. So, but I'm th- thankful that you'll be here. And also, what's cool, guys? Um, Tony will also be on next episode as we interview um, someone I'm really excited to talk to, uh, Kathleen Brown. She is a U.S. House Rep. Um, for the state of Texas candidate who's running against Ronnie Jackson, uh, a Republican who goes unimposed most times when he runs. So we're going to talk to her just about uh, running as a Democrat, a moderate Democrat in Texas, what she learns because she services Wichita Falls, Amarillo. And so we're going to be able to have her here, Denton County, uh, just kind of talking about what it's like to run and what made her run and uh, what can we learn here in Tarrant County about that. So that will be next week. Um, and then after that, the week after, it's going to be, what was the September early holiday? Memorial or labor? I always get a labor. Labor. Labor day. Yeah. labor day. So we won't have a pod that day. So these next two will be me and Tony. Let's go ahead and dive into the episode. So what you're going to have here is, we felt like there was a lot of news this week. Like just like a lot of little things, nothing like dramatic, but just like a lot of things going on. And so we broke it down into three short stories. The first short story is going to be about economic development. The second story is going to be kind of about like taxes and Tarrant County and, and what Fort Worth is looking to do at ta- with taxes um, as we get ready for budget cycle and all that stuff. And then the next one is just, hey, Fort Worth ISD school rating. We got Tony here who um, had an awesome episode about kind of teacher pipeline, teacher recruitment. And, and so we kind of can discuss kind of the school rating stuff together. And then the big story is all the stuff that's happening, uh, with the, uh, assistant attorney judges around juvenile, um, stack juvenile, um, system and where we're not actually getting kids out of the system. And now people are asking for the removal of these, uh, associate judges. Um, so let's go ahead and dive in the first, uh, economic development story we want to talk about is, Omni's plan for $217 million downtown Fort Worth expansion is a $217 million project, which will result in 400 rooms, which will expand over an entire city block. Currently the site of the Tarrant Community College Administrative Building, Omni is under contract with TCC to purchase the property. The city of Fort Worth will contribute $53 million in incentive to the project. The, once the work is complete, it would include a refresh of the existing home hotel, um, which has 1,008 rooms over two blocks. And um, they're also so they're going to build another building. Uh, the existing tower has 33 stories and was built in 2009. Um, there's going to be a restaurant and the expansion was expected to start during COVID shutdown. Um, the halt forced a new re, a full reconsideration of the project, which at the time had one hundred seventy four million dollar price tag. So the price tag has gone up. What is your thought about this story? Omni Hotel has a is an iconic brand here in, in, in our city is always busy. I feel like one of the most busiest places in downtown. Yeah. So what is your take? Yeah, I mean, um, 
selfishly, Omni's kind of special to me. Like mm. I went to, I was going to Whiskey and Rye in college. They used to have a happy hour a long time ago and it was like one of the best in the city. And then I think they figured out that kids like me figured it out. <laughs> so they were like, all right, gotta, gotta get rid of the happy hour. But uh, yeah, it's a special place. It's a place where I go for staycations. It's the place that we partied uh, the night of my wedding. So we went from, we got married at TMP and then we walked across to Omni to, to celebrate some more with some of our friends and, and people. I think it speaks a lot too about the fact that Fort Worth continues to get a lot of people uh, to visit, right? So tourism is up, hotels are up, we're seeing more and more of this hotel industry. Um, So I think that uh, great hotels are fantastic. Uh, We have to continue to get innovative and find new uh, reasons for people to come and visit the city, which I I think it's exciting. So uh, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, the fact uh, that they said the Omni has committed to creating 50,000 square feet of meeting space in the new tower and 15,000 square feet for a restaurant facing Lancaster Avenue. Man, Lancaster is going to look really cool here in a, in a decade, man. I mean, it's going to, me and you are going to be like, what the heck happened? As both um, uh, people who uh, love the South Side and and, 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 and and TMP and all that jazz, it's going to look different. You have Texas A&M North coming in. Uh, you already have UTA's, uh, UT Arlington's business school down there so you got these business school you have this innovation program for a&m you're expanding the omni a lot of work and i think it's going to connect to the south side yeah yeah i agree um the thing that i hope that this pushes and i I apologies i didn't get to read the whole story but the the texas and pacific freight warehouse downtown Mm -hmm. that is you know a big beautiful building but it's massive right so as omni expands on lancaster i wonder if we're eventually going to see some growth in this so uh the star telegram did have a separate article about that that building and its future uh down here but i do think that hopefully this is steps in the right direction of like hey if we're going to continue to expand in that area and we're going to continue to kind of refurbish and build things up i wonder if we'll see movement on that giant building uh that we all drive past on 30 in lancaster yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, looking at um, the hotel's expansion comes at a time when Fort Worth's hospitality industry continues to surge. Um, I know there's another hotel going into the, uh, it's going to be the, the Sandman Signature is expanding, one of the XCO buildings. So you got another, I think, 200 plus rooms coming out of coming out of another hotel. So you're seeing a lot of booming happening there. Uh, what else to see, see here? I want to make sure another 1000 room hotel is planned for part of the Fort Worth Convention Center. So there's another one. 60 million first phase is expected to begin at the end of this year. Pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, you know, I, I stayed at the uh, the Kimpton and Harper. Oh, not yeah. Too long ago. Yeah. I went to went to Il Moto on their first floor, like great restaurant, oh, cool yeah. hotel, swanky, cool little like Fort Worth details with like the Panthers and whatnot. But I don't know. Part of me is just like, wow, we're really riding this hotel wave. And um, I know you guys talked a lot about the short term rentals recently. So I think that those are conflicting interests. Right. And, you know, it's I I think that that's a it's an interesting take to see the hotels doing so well and that recovery going so well and then watching the short term rental debate kind of alongside it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, And with so much positive attention about hotel expansion, I think it might be difficult to convince voters that short term rentals. are advantageous to the city. Yeah, 100%. And um, it looks like they have to spend a little over $202 million on the expansion with 15% of hard and soft costs to minority and women-owned contractors, according to the city. Completion is required by the end of 2026. So also I wonder what traffic construction might look like down there because it is a busy road, you know, to, you know, 
go from 35 to 30, kind of going under the Lancaster, you yeah. know, people there. So it is a busy place and already kind of confusing. I always missed a 30 highway uh, <laughs> right there. So I'd like always miss it. And then I have to go do a, around the Henderson and uh, do it on the other side. Um, some people are kind of like concerned about it in the sense of cost. The cost has gone up. So when, um, this is Crum told city council. I'm trying to see who Crum is. Let's see. Uh, Mike Crum, director of Fort Worth's public events department. There you go. The cost of the project has gone up significantly. Three years ago, it was thought to be south of $400 million. Now it's north of $500 million. So, I mean, it's crazy in these days where like another $100 million doesn't phase me that much. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you know, okay. $100 million in this economy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like no big deal. Inflation. So there you go. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm not too phased about it. All in all, I think super cool. Um, and man, that the just a connection between downtown and south side, it's gonna look epic one day. And we're not we're not gonna no, we're gonna be the old people looking at our city like, dang, this place is so different than what I remember. Yeah. All right. So another cool story that was uh this one was in the Fort Worth report by Bob Francis. A solar panel manufacturer is considering Fort Worth potentially as its new place of, of business, bringing 229 jobs. Uh, a major solar panel manufacturer is planning to build a 5.7 million square foot plant in the United States and a location on the border of Tarrant and Parker uh, counties um, is under consideration. Hanwha Solutions is planning to construct a new large scale solar panel plant. Two sites in North Texas are under consideration. One is the site of um, the Tarrant County and Parker County one and the other one South Dallas County and Lancaster area. The parcel in Tarrant and Parker County is a part of the Walsh Ranch development, which was also consideration for Rivian. Uh, Hanwha is a Korea, uh, a South Korean-based company. Um, they are also supposedly um, one of the largest solar panel market um, people with most market share with commercial 24% um, in the U.S. and residential 20.6% in 2021. They have manufactured facilities in other areas of U.S., Malaysia, China, and South Korea. Um, this is also coming at a time when President Biden approved the Inflation Reduction Act, which included incentives to boost solar manufacturing. So we're, we're competing, and they're, they're talking about this is something that's going to happen. They're going to make a decision by the end of the year, but it's cool to see us in, in uh, another, another competition. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's also, I think, worth noting that w- with the expansion of something like this and with more jobs comes, you know, more apartments and more Mm -hmm. housing. And like, you know, we're going to have to find something to go out into the West. And I think, you know, if it's just going to be one after the other, after the other, um, I was in a conversation recently where we were talking about all of the new like factories and warehouses out on the South, um, South 20 in the Dallas side, like near 45 and the 35 uh, exchange out there. And, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see people from Tarrant and Parker County saying like, listen, one, maybe two, sure. But mm. at what point do you have to say like, hey, we need to put a stop to this or like, where do these people go? Like all these great jobs are coming in, but like, where are they going to live? And do they live further west? Do they live closer to the urban core? Um, so it's just, I think it's a multifaceted mm-hmm. problem. It's not just as simple as like, hey, factory, you know, new factory bringing jobs, but on the more optimistic and positive side of this i hope that it's an opportunity to see growth in green energy in texas like this could be a small start to a much larger solution i'm actually blown away by the number of solar panels i see in in wedgwood 
Yeah. Uh, it's really surprising. But I'm also, every time I see them, I'm like, man, this is probably a great idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like there's a bunch of businesses out there now trying to get people to do it. I get knocked, I got door knocked and called, hey, free solar panel installment because I guess all this tax stuff or like people are they're, they're doing a lot for businesses to get people like me and you to move over. Uh, I did a lot of reading into it. It was it, it's interesting. Like it's it's the setup is where you're kind of leasing your roof to them, so you don't own the panel. So it's, it's it was tricky, and I was like, I was kind of annoyed because they're, you know, living in East Side, taking advantage of maybe people who don't know the full setup of what's happening, and eventually having to pay maybe and all that stuff. But we'll definitely see. There's definitely movement in that space. Right um, look at the jobs though. The 229 jobs uh, with the annual wage of more than seventy eight thousand five hundred twenty two dollars um, would be great and and, and awesome for. That area of Fort Worth, and, and and it just seems like everyone's really excited about the school districts in that area. Alito, that's kind of like it seems like people are excited. So there's those kind of agreements. Fort Worth ISD is a part of that area too, though. So, um, getting those schools, and so I mean, honestly, right. um, that could even let's actually go ahead and just dive into that story, the school rating story. I mean, if you want to move over to that rather than doing the tax, and then we do the next one uh, a little later. So, yeah, I mean, this the, the companies now seeing Fort Worth, Alito, school district saying, hey, we're, we could possibly bring people here. We're now seeing our education system as an advantage. But Fort Worth ISD improved state ratings um, despite the struggle through the pandemic. Um, reading this story in the Star-Telegram, what was your – and just, I mean, you're, you're in education, so and especially you deal with DFW. What was your initial just kind of seeing all the success across the Metroplex and ratings um, mean to you? Yeah, um, the first thing I think, okay, a couple of things. One, it's important to take the win, take the W. Schools have been under a microscope for the last few years, and they have seen challenges uh, like every other industry, but like they have absolutely changed the model from the early days of COVID when they went completely virtual to no accountability ratings to back in school to school boards being made the enemy to teacher retention issues. And so for there to be data to suggest that there has been positive growth in an urban district like Fort Worth ISD, round of applause to the folks yep. out there who are who are doing the work, right? And that's a big shout out to teachers in particular, right? Like, you know, I, administrators, I know you have a hand in it too, but teachers are the ones in the classrooms, you know, making the difference with students. I think it's important that we all collectively celebrate the win because we mm-hmm. have been really good at not celebrating schools for the last several years um, and unfortunately kind of making them the enemy. So my very first take was round of applause. This is great. As we dig deeper, I think that it is, um, you know, I think it's cool that people want to be critical of the school data and like, well, what does that exactly mean? And is this just one metric? And is it all about the star, the, the standardized testing results? I think it's interesting that people are starting to ask questions and for better or for worse. And I think it might be for better, we're informing people more about what it means for those school ratings to come out and we're getting to celebrate them. Right. Um, so I, I like the publicity of it. I like the look at it and, um, and that, you know, again, the short version is celebrate the win. And then the next bit is, I hope that the community stays informed and that these aren't just like ratings that we put banners up and on the, on the school and like, nobody yeah. knows what it means. I think that there needs to be an active role for the district and for the campuses, specifically the campuses who did really well and the campuses who, did, who didn't do so well to kind of tell their story of like, hey, 
here's where we are, here's how this is rated, and here's your role in it. And bring the community in and have parents and external partners yeah. and students even taking responsibility for, hey, this is what we're, we're all marching towards. I think that could really instill a sense of pride that otherwise goes missing yeah. uh, in public ed. And I'm saying that from you know my days in, in, in the classroom where I think sometimes students especially just kind of felt like, they listen to the adults in their lives yep. and adult narrative shapes child behavior. And mm -hmm. the narrative was, oh, it's it's a bad school, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're not doing the things that we need to be doing. So when you have wins like this, I think it's incumbent upon the adults in the room to share that win with students so that they have a sense of pride about where they yep. go to school. So it's a great opportunity. I hope it isn't missed. Um, but that was like the quick, like just yeah. me as a person yeah. take. Yeah. Fort Worth ISD broke out um, in Tarrant County as one of the five districts to improve a letter grade from C to B. And so a part of that was increasing the number of A and B schools from 41 in 2019 to 75 in, 22, in 2022 and decreasing the number of D and F schools um, not rated this year under a 2021 law from 38 to 23. Yeah, I think this is just like you said. I mean, really, we need that win, and especially going into the school year. Uh, just having that fresh and, and even just like looking at it from a state level, uh, the metrics is significant. The Texas Education Commissioner, Mike Moraff, said during a press call discussing the release of the numbers. Ultimately, if you have really low levels of achievement at a campus and for several years in a row, you have a very high level of academic growth at the campus. You will not end up with low levels of achievement at the campus, he said. That growth was in districts across the state, Moraff said, with 25 percent of districts and 33 percent of campuses increasing letter grades since 2019. So. I mean, that's a big, that's a big jump of, of Texas schools, um, which I, I was, I was very surprised of, and I think a lot of people were concerned what was going to happen with grades. So it seems like a lot of people are celebrating and, um, doing the work. Yeah. I, and, and again, I think that it's great that we're seeing the win and the fruits of the labor are there, but one has to ask the question, did it come at the expense of teacher retention right like did it mm. come like and and i think that that's a really hard trade-off right but like it was clearly good for students student outcomes increased but at the cost was it at the cost of teachers feeling overworked overwhelmed you know overstressed whatever the case might be that's tough right that's a that's a tough um tension of opposites there yeah because they were saying what like some teachers like most teachers were doing after school tutoring didn't do had people doing summer yeah, tutoring and, the, yeah, and all that had, stuff you had the uh, implementation of reading academies as well which was a yeah. uh, state mandated and that was rolled out in different ways but that was you know hey you are going to do this additional work and the work paid off clearly but again it was asking more of a population of uh, of employees who are already doing mm -hmm. a, a lot of work yeah yeah well Tarrant County also saw a lot of turnover in the city. Um, and so they're doing all they can to, and, and in the county um, for government positions. And so in this third short story, we're going to discuss what are some of the budget priorities for Tarrant County, but then also the city. Um, we talked about this earlier, me and Jimmy and how this is, was good for the county, but Tarrant County employees are in line for two raises by January. Employees will receive a 4% raise October 1st and an average 3% merit raise in January. Um, so that is coming. Um, Tarrant County has struggled to retain employees since the pandemic. From March 2020 to June 2022, mm -hmm. the county lost 1,625 employees to resignations, terminations, and retirement. Nationwide, a record 47.4 million people quit their jobs in 2021. 
Um, in July, county commissioners used money from the American Rescue Plan to give 4,900 payments to full-time employees. Um, so, yeah, um, this is the part that is also, like, you're just showing, like, how this is impacting commissioner pays increase to $201,000, which is up from $188,000. The county judge and sheriff, Bill Wayborn, will be paid $211,000, uh, 895 and 32 cents, but plus 211000 um, the district attorney will make $250,000, um, up from $242,000, $243,000. Uh, story will be in the, the, the notes. If you want to look at the exact numbers, the county proposed budget of $916 million is 119 more than last year. I'm pro the raises, right? Raises for, for our city people. Yeah, uh, so absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anecdotally, I know someone who, who was interested in working, like lives in Fort Worth, likes the city, like, you know, tired of commuting out of Fort Worth to go work and said like, Hey, I could, I have the skill set that they're looking for on the, on their website. Let me apply for this job. Wow. Awesome. Saw, saw the salary demand and was like, okay, maybe I'll stay put. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think the increases are um, great for the people who are, who are there and doing the work, but also I think it's about attracting some of that talent that we have right here in Fort Worth to stay in Fort Worth and make their money here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another Tarrant County story around budgets and and, 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 and taxes and, and things like that is Tarrant County is proposing a flat tax rate. Uh, Tarrant County wants to keep the tax rate the same heading into the next fiscal year, but homeowners will pay more to fund a $916 million budget, which we just talked about in the other story, um, which is an increase. So if the owner of a $350,000 home, they would pay $802 in county taxes under a pro- proposed tax rate. Um, of twenty two point nine cents per hundred dollars of property value, residential accounts increased by an average of fourteen point six percent in twenty twenty two, according to the Tarrant Appraisal District. So taxes on the same home could be could have been as low as seven twenty nine a year ago. So you're seeing a jump of if you have a three hundred fifty thousand dollar home, you're looking at a jump of seventy ish dollars. Um, some will see a smaller tax increase if their home value didn't increase as much, but I feel like a lot of people's houses did. Um, I just find this interesting that they you know. I feel like a lot of, I know the city is lowering their tax rates, property tax rates, but our t- taxes will still go up because the value has gone higher than the decrease of the property tax city. But um, the county commissioner uh, unanimously approved the proposed rate as a record vote at their Tuesday meeting, but the final rate won't be decided until sub- September 13th. They can lower the rate at a time, but, but can't go higher. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those things that I just like, I'm not an expert in and I'm just like, you know what? I bet there's someone really smart listening to this podcast. Who's like, Oh, I got a hot take. Great. Reach out to the 817 podcast and share that hot take. Cause for me, I'm like, low man, I'm just going to pay the bill when the bill comes due. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, I guess, yeah. And to me, you know, obviously property taxes for city property taxes are highest costs for Fort Worthians. I just think it's, it's interesting because we're raising budgets, but at the same time, there just seems like Texas is flush with a lot of cash. I know Jimmy talked about this cash reserve that the state has, and I don't remember that story. But even now, you know, Fort Worth Report just the other just over the weekend posted about sales tax revenues are also popping and heating up. Uh, we've had in July Texas collected three point nine billion dollars in sales tax revenue, the highest ever uh, monthly recorded, uh, according to the Texas Com- Comptroller of Public Accounts. The booming revenue is mostly fueled by oil and gas production taxes, which combined generated more than $1 billion. Yeah, and I see in the same article that, you know, for cities like Fort Worth, uh, these taxes make up about 22% of the city's general fund anticipated revenue in fiscal year 2022. So 
high, you know, like when it makes up 22% of your budget and that number goes up, you're thinking like, oh, okay. But again, I'm far out of my depth in terms of understanding, but uh, more sales tax seems to be a good thing for our city. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and um, go, yeah. I mean, a lot of this episode is a lot of like this nitty gritty stories that we found that we just felt like, like, Hey, we should be aware of it. Um, you know, the city budget budget's going to be improved. Yeah. We just got to be aware of these kind of things. I think so. And you know, one of the things that I want to point out in this article too, is um, what they, one of the things that is cited as the increase of these, uh, these taxes, the sales tax increases are, um, record oil and natural gas collections, right? Yeah. So where earlier in the pod, we're talking solar panels, green energy, kind of, you know, maybe a shift or at least a a difference here in in DFW. Um, It's going to be hard to continue to fight the narrative of like, well, when oil and gas does well, so does the state of Texas, which directly impacts us. Um, So continuing our legacy, I guess you could say in Texas of being an oil and gas state, um, Mm. I, I guess wins, you know, quote, I'm doing air quotes for the, I know y'all can't see me. Um, but I'm kind of thinking like maybe this is still a win for oil and gas, um, which is going to be hard to speak out against yeah. oil and gas when clearly it's yeah. benefiting the state. Yeah. And, and, and the council votes on the budget and tax rates in September. So it's actually less than a month. Like it's, you know, it's right here. It's coming around the corner. So this is why so much of this I think is interesting because it's so fast. I mean, like where, where was these discussions? Like, it just seems like, we were expected to have an interview this, this, this week and we decided to push the interview back because all these little stories that started popping up and I'm like, man, I would have prepared, you know, the podcast a little differently, but all this budget stuff just seems like you said over my head and we're people who we try to read the news and understand (laughs) it. I'm trying to stay informed. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and so, but I just find it really interesting that all of these things happening right at the very end of it all. Like, you know, how do you, educate the 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 Fort Worthy and the average Fort Worthian about all this stuff yeah. who's going to see their property taxes go up and then seeing the news that sales taxes is booming and it's like so why is my property taxes going up if sales is yeah. and it's like so it's just a lot of that stuff that I think and then people are nervous about property taxes and all that stuff that's you know a bigger concern than ever I feel like for people right yeah it, what, what affects my bottom line and I think that you know this goes back to really what you created the 817 podcast to be about right like it's hard to stay this informed. And like you said, like you have a podcast dedicated to it. You're reading the stories, you're looking at the articles, you're, you're subscribed to multiple news sources and still it feels very daunting to be well-equipped to this. So then when we talk about low voter turnout in Tarrant County and in Fort Worth, is it so hard to believe when these things are hard? And like, what are people worried about? They're worried about putting food on the table. They're worried about gas in their cars. They're worried about paying their property tax bills. They're worried about where their kids are going to school and what mm-hmm. the outcomes of those are going to be. Oh, and then by the way, you need to be thinking about how we collect revenue as a city and the expansions and what businesses those matter might displace. It's complicated. It's hard. And I do think, you know, shout out to every one of your listeners <laughs> who stays informed and is working hard and, and trying to be a, a well-informed Fort yeah. Worthian. But on the flip side, I get it. It is a grind yeah. to stay informed and, and to, and to you know, want to make a positive change in your city. So got love for everybody listening right now because yeah. you're, you're taking, you're taking the hard step of wanting to know more. Um, even when sometimes it's just like, wow, there's too much. Yeah. 100%. Speaking of another topic, that's nice and that's very gritty. Um, it's the big story. 
Uh, the big story came out recently. Nicole Manna, investigative reporter for Star Telegram, does a lot of great work around keeping the crim- uh, the criminal justice system in Tarrant County and Fort Worth accountable and just doing a lot of great articles. I mean, she did the 76104 article on life expectancy, done a lot. But her new stories around the juvenile court either postponing or canceling uh, juvenile cases is really interesting. So there's two kind of stories by her that we're going to walk through. The reason why it's important to walk through both of them, you already have, you know, County Commissioner Glenn Whitley coming out and saying, we need to defund the two associate judges. So what is happening here? So the two associate judges um, are, are, are not actually potentially are not doing their job. A The Fort Worth Star-Telegram reported on an audit Friday after attaining a copy of a 21-page audit uncovering wide-ranging problems at nearly every le- level, including violations of Texas law on how some youth are housed and how two associate judges who handle juvenile cases cancel or postpone most of their scheduled hearings, which then leads to um, more juvenile uh Kids, I guess, being stuck in 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 in, uh, in, in centers and detention centers, uh, and overcapacity compared to the amount of staff. Kids sleeping in cots. Uh, but what I, what I find very interesting about it, if I get to the the number here, is that the two judges, Cynthia Terry and Andy Porter, um, who are appointed, Judge Alex Kim, who's elected, appointed them to. Uh, so he's getting a lot of slack. He's trying to protect, saying he runs an efficient court system, the most efficient one in in Tarrant County. But what's crazy is both of these, the audit found that one associate court had 744 hearings on the docket, but canceled or delayed 61% of them. The other judge failed to hold 67% of the hearings on the docket. The audit didn't include the judge's name, but we do know it's Cynthia Terry and Andy Porter, who are both running for office. Um, Porter is running for the election of the criminal district court number four bench, and Terry is running to be the 325th district court judge. And is unopposed. What did I miss in here based off you reading this as well on what do you find interesting? Why this, why we decided to make this the big story ultimately and why it matters to us at Fort Worth. When, you know, looking at this, it's really disheartening to know. I mean, you said it, 61% of hearings canceled are delayed. These are kids. Um, and when we're keeping kids in detention centers uh, and we're not having them back with families, back with back in schools, back getting the, what they need to do, we are setting them up for a life of um, of repeat systems. Right. Systems are designed to do exactly what they do and they're going to mm. get the results that they're designed to get. And I, I, I have some pretty serious questions about what in the world these folks are doing if they're not holding court. I feel like if you if you have a job and your job is to hold court and you don't do it, you should be fired from that job. Yeah. And again, I oversimplified. I don't understand the ins and the outs of it. One thing, too, that I think was worth looking at here um, is this issue is not independent of race. So at, quoting the article, looking specifically at June 27, they found that 107 of the youth being held were people of color and nine were white. That is not reflective of the demographic of the city. Mm-hmm. So it makes it, you know, and another quote here, it's difficult to imagine that it is accidental that over 90% of the long-term incarcerations in our juvenile detention center are either African-American or Hispanic, and that only 7% of those incarcerated long-term are white. There is something systemically wrong at our juvenile detention center. 
It's hard to understand how. It's not racist. And I don't use that term lightly. These issues, I think, are sometimes things that we don't want to believe are necessarily right in our backyard, right? Like we, we watch the documentaries and we read the, we read the big books and, uh, you know, and, and we see the stories playing out. But here in our own backyard, right in Tarrant County, we are watching the juvenile detention centers contribute to the you know, overcrowding of, of prisons and the overcrowding of, of correctional facilities by black and brown people. I refuse to believe that this is, um, I refuse to believe that this is only, you know, only happening in black and brown communities in Tarrant County and that um, something needs to be done. Something needs to be fixed. These, these, all of these juveniles deserve their day in court and we deserve, they deserve uh, an opportunity to get right back on the path, but you're not going to get that when you're spending, you know, 300 or more days in a correctional facility. And I have those numbers here as well. But again, you know, that Judge Kim argues that the majority of youth who are detained on gun or violent crimes are black. He said he's holding them because they're a danger to the community or themselves, not because of their race. Yeah. Hard to understand. Again, like I, I, I will speak to my own ignorance here that I don't know all of the ins and the outs of it, but. I didn't know that judges could make decisions to hold children in juvenile detention facilities without court hearings. And it feels yeah. like that's what's happening is a judge is making a decision to keep people in, in detention centers when, in fact, their, their, their opportunities to get their day in court, as it were, yeah. is, not, is not coming. So I don't know what the disconnect is here, but I, I appreciate the article because I think it's opening my eyes to um, – it's opening my eyes to just how quietly these systems of oppression can exist in our society. Um, unless people like Nicole Mana at the star telegram, thank you so much, uh, shine a light on it. And, uh, I will continue to be, to get more informed as we go on in this story because, um, it's painting a really terrible picture. Yeah. And both Cynthia, Terry, I mean, looking at her website, conservative Republican for judge. Um, and then same with, um, Judge Andy Porter for the CDC four, um, both conservative judges. Kim, um, Alex Kim is, is known for being harsh on black and brown communities and kids who get uh, get to his cases. I, 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 what I, what, what, what shows me that this is a really big problem is that Glenn Whitley, a Republican, is saying we need to defund these two positions and and we need to move on from these people. That to me is like. When someone from your own who who knows you who you know who in your work um, comes out and says stuff like that to me that is like you definitely did something seriously wrong uh, because that's not that's he's such a passive I mean yeah he's been more outspoken now that he's retiring and he's not running for office but to say defund uh, a buzzword like that um, in today's society um, that's a big deal and. How they're going to respond is going to be be interesting. Yeah, I think. And well, in addition to Whitley's comments, you have you know the two associate judges who handled juvenile cases canceled or postponed so many of their scheduled hearings that one is called ghost court privately among employees. Employees have now made light of the situation that this court does not take place. And again, it's like these are kids, like these are people, these are human beings whose lives are literally in the balance. And when employees of that court, who clearly, I mean, they have to know more than I do, right? They have to, 
are willing to call it ghost court because it's not occurring, something's wrong and yeah. it needs to be fixed immediately. So again, I, I, I just hope that this is one of those stories that continues to have light shine, like shining on it and, it, and good reporting continues to do what good reporting does. Um, because I don't, I, I, I like, yes, people have a hand in it, but this is a system issue and the system needs an overhaul if black and brown kids are spending this much time in juvenile detention centers in Tarrant County. So I hope that uh, the system is fixed. I care less about the individuals and I care way more about the the holistic idea of like we have to figure out how we get juvenile court to be running more effectively and efficiently um, to do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, and, and then it gets crazier where, I mean, they're holding kids sex traffic victims in these juvenile attention centers like as like and and people are like why would you hold sex traffic uh victims in a place where you're supposedly also holding uh the same population of criminals uh this was by judge pat gallagher of the 96th district court um alex camden says the pod said pods in the girls section are single cells and juvenile services often tries to place them into programs that can protect them. Uh, Medlin confirmed that some have been referred to Unbound North Texas, a nonprofit that supports victims of trafficking. But like that is even a crazy part. Now you're pitting victims who 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 actually need you know more additional support and don't need to be um, seen or identified as criminals or be in the same areas of criminals. Even though to me, I won't argue that juvenile kids are I'm going to call it juvenile kids criminals the way Alex Kim does so do naturally. Um, that, but then also we were talking about off, off, uh, mics and, and off recording how like there's a YouTube stream. Kim, Kim, uh, is like live streaming. Like Alex Kim is like live streaming his, uh, his, his court hearings with kids, making them live on Facebook. People are commenting. He's kind of using it to build his celebrity cause he's an elected official. That is crazy. Like, you know, what, what is this judge Judy? You know, like. <laughs> And, and and so now you have you know these black kids on 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 live YouTube, you're 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 bashing on them, you're 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 making them look silly or or stupid, and then there's even data saying that ones with comments got harsher opinions based off of what the comments were on the Facebook. Uh, so yeah, that's just that. I mean, there's so much, like you said, s- systemic issues going on with this right. that allows people to do get away with this stuff. Mm-hmm. This same goes with what's happening with Wayburn and adult, uh, adult the adult system during the right. pandemic. And I think it's easy as a society, again, right? Like we talked about it earlier about like the, our minds are, are limited in what they can be thinking about. So, so many people are, we have to think about what's right in front of us a lot of the times. And we don't have the luxury of thinking about everybody else. And I think it's easy given this, narrative around society of like people who make bad choices get bad things and i think it's easy to dismiss uh stories about overcrowded jails i think it's easy to dismiss Mm -hmm. uh things about juvenile court because you're just like well i guess those kids should be doing right and i'm like it is not that simple we don't know like it's just it's it's really it's frustrating because if it's not brought top of mind and this isn't you know, in our faces all of the time with all of the other competing priorities that we have to think about, um, then unfortunately these folks are forgotten about. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I wonder who's fighting for them. Um, I wonder who's, if they are going to get their day in court, that's what I care about deeply. But I, I, I just think that there's something to be said about the whole of this has probably been going on for some time. And if we aren't 
bringing it top of mind and these and you know again shout out to these reporters who are saying like hey i'm trying to put this top of mind for you i'm trying to make sure that this hits news i'm trying to keep this on your radar um otherwise i don't know who's going to fight for those kids and that's and that that really concerns me yeah june 27th um the they reviewed cases and found that 116 juveniles were being held in detention centers which is staffed for 104 and like what you were mentioning one juvenile had been in detention for 515 days he or she will be tried as an adult it was awaiting transfer. So now you're an adult. Like yeah. you're not doing. And like, so there's so many layers of why this is bad. Yeah. 90% of them are black or brown. What, why is that, you know, that are being held up? Um, they're being held up in places that are not even staffed to actually keep all of them. So when you have more kids and less staff to handle that, what happens there? Oh, wait. And we're putting sex traffic victims in this, in these centers. Oh, and then wait. Oh, we pay these people tax dollars to do their job and they're not doing their job. 60% plus for both of these assistant judges who are running for office on our dime. I mean, then we got to the Facebook YouTube stuff. I mean, the, the county had to deny $9,000 of, of, of ad revenue from the YouTube channel. Like, that is crazy. The county rejected $9,000 payment from Google earlier this year from Kim's court handlings. That means a lot of people are watching this. And now, to me, is, is which is very sad. Um, and so this is just a crazy story. And this is why I think it's the big stories because right. we don't know a lot. This is not our expertise. Right. But surely more is going to come out. And if Glenn Whitley's telling you, we got to get these dudes out of here, like, you know, using words like the fun as a Republican... You know, the only two people are, who are doing that now are wanting to fund FBI because they're crazies. So it's like he's using big words here. Yeah, yeah, I I, I don't disagree. And 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 some I feel of like the, Maddie should be. Oh, I mean, it's county, so it's it's hard for her to have to say something on this, right? Um, I think you know you could probably yeah. go in and do the data on how many of those kids are Fort Worth student, you know, yeah, yeah. Fort Worth kids. Yeah. Um, that could be that could be used for it. Um, I, important to note here that Judge Kim, um. You know, the Supreme Court of Texas told judges they had to broadcast proceedings, including including juvenile hearings, and recommended they use YouTube. So the Texas Judicial Branch sent instructions to judges about how to create a Zoom account. So that's a COVID remnant. Um, but again, I think it's interesting that it's like it just became it, – it, it stayed there, right? And in some Depending cases – Depending on your Facebook page. Right. And, it, and in some cases, it says here in the article, Kim continued to stream the hearing of children under the age of 14 against the law – uh, and others, he spoke the child's full name and gave a summary of their alleged crimes. The attorneys complained. So a um, couple of local attorneys who have spoken out against this. And, you know, they also said he treated the hearings as if they were being held in a live TV courtroom. So like you said, it's like, is this Judge Judy? And it's just, what does it do to those? What What is it? Kids are impressionable. Yeah. And if you if you tell some something or somebody that they are this way and you treat them as if they are this thing, in this case, a criminal, an adult criminal who needs to be in a detention center for 200 or more days, they will internalize that. Identities are being formed. Lives are being shaped. And I am genuinely concerned that instead of, quote, keeping us you know, safe from these, you know, these teenagers, these children, uh, as dangerous society as, as, as Judge Kim would have me believe – I wonder if, in fact, what we're doing is we're further harming them and their ability to get back on the right path, 
get yeah. back into school, be re-engaged in all of these uh, prevention activities and, and all of the wonderful things that so much of Tarrant County is trying to pour into. I don't know. Th- I've never been inside a detention center, but I hope that uh, they are getting all of the uh, proper rehabilitative services that they need Probably, while they're yeah. there. Yeah. And I I find it hard to believe that they Spe- are. I mean, especially when the person is willing to quote unquote say, he said he's holding them because they're a danger to community or themselves, not because of their race. Yeah. But like to call any teenager a danger to the community um, for any kind of crime that's not murder, you know, like, yeah, you know, gangs or whatever. And there was maybe some squabbles with having guns and things like that. But like, these are, that's, that's like, to me, you want someone who has a positive progress, like hope, um, believe every child could have a great life. You know, every kid has a good heart. Like that to me is just like, you're already creating an operating system of, um, evil and scare, scare, you know, scare tactics to the community. Oh, these, these black kids with guns are, are bad when, you know, yeah, it's just, it's just, that's to me like also just scary. Yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, so y'all know, uh, the state ultimately dismissed the complaint and said that Kim's conduct quote, while not necessarily appropriate, did not rise to the level of sanctionable misconduct. Again, systems are designed to do exactly what they're doing. And, uh, we're watching that play out right here in Tarrant County. You ready to move the wins and losses? Let's do it. Cool. Well, I'll jump into my loss because it kind of goes with what we were already talking about, and that is giving um, law enforcement or um, anything around crime more money just because they already have a lot of money. But Fort Worth is proposing spending $2.28 million to fight gangs. Fort Worth could see five new crime control programs next year if a proposed crime control and prevention district budget is approved by the council members. The $117 million budget, a 23% increase compared to last year's approved budget, calls for investments in the following programs. Community information, 911, call taker, domestic violence victim assistance, gang intervention, and administrative initiatives to help with grant partnerships. My whole big thing is, I mean, yes, what we just talked about was county, um, but a lot of, I mean, I, I just think like we already give these people a ton of money and we're we're not doing any better like we're we're still one of the highest homicide cities what you know we have a high gang violent city and so to me it's just like why you know yes i do agree people should get paid more i 100% agree on that um but it's just like we have the budget to do these things why do we continue to do it and just i'm just to me it's like i don't see a budget increase for schools who just got good ratings but yet we just have all these people doing, you know, not doing their job and you're giving money. And I guess like this idea is that like we're always need more police officers or more money for policing is just like a bad way to look at it. I think for education, that's fair because education is like proactive. It's future forward, high investment. Um, it's not reactive. It's not, you know a small number of kids. It's a lot, lot of kids, tens of thousands of kids. Um, so I just, I guess to me, the lost is like, I'm always going to take an L when we're going to give cops more money when we just gave them a hundred new cop budget, increase a hundred employment. So it's just like, we do we really need to keep going guys? Um, and that's my take. 
Yeah, and and where I so so everyone knows that it's not all sunshine and rainbows between EJ and I. Like <laughs> I think where I push back on this thought is that um, I do see this as like a preventative effort in education and working with uh, community to you know help. Uh, it's it's about prevention, right? Crime prevention. Um, but to EJ's point, like there is a lot of money already allocated in that budget, so it's like, could it be? Could we use it? is the money already there that you need or do you actually need more money, right? So yeah. is it about is it about smarter spending or is it about increasing programs like this? So for the five new initiatives, I think that it's great. And I think that yeah, these, yeah. Are, these are, you know, these are All strong steps sell forward. Your tank. Sell your tank, you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and bingo, right? And, I was like, and the, the elephant in the room is like, but is, you know, but but are the armored vehicles and the yeah. you know, these kinds of things. And again, like <laughs> expert in police spending, absolutely not. Yeah. But they, I, they keep I, us that way, right? Though. But I, but I, but I see it. I see both sides of that coin of like, I think this is a good idea, and it's rooted in in, in community impact and change and crime prevention, uh, and not response, you know, not responding to, but also, man, that's a lot of money, yeah. and I, and I agree, and of course, like Mister Mister ISD Mister Schools over yeah, here yeah, is yeah, always yeah. going to be like, hey, more for schools, more for schools, but yeah, 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 and and I think that's a big the 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 split in like a progressive worldview of like. We're all public schools. We're all for our teachers. And if you look at teachers and teacher associations, they're very progressive. They're usually funding Democrat candidates. And then the opposite, which I think both a police officer and a teacher has the two hardest jobs in the world. Yeah, it's but like tough work. But police officer and police associations, the Manny Ramirez's of the world, they're out there, you know, endorsing Jungus Jordans of the world and, and the Kerry Moons of the world and backing these conservative candidates. So like to me, there's just so much darkness in it all. That I'm not even sure if each side should be able to be getting involved in politics because you serve all kids and you mm-hmm. serve all communities. And so it's just like it's just a big swampy mess of like um, we just got to keep bringing it top of mind and just that's my take. I'm going to keep it top of mind. It's not the end of the world. It's normal for Fort Worth. Right on. Um, so, yeah. yeah. But speaking of, I mean, police officers, your loss is also associated with with this as well. Yeah, my, my, my loss goes um, really to, you know, it's, it's about the murder trial for ex-Fort Worth police officer Aaron Dean rescheduled after many delays. Um, Aaron, you know, I, I just, I want I want justice and closure for the family of a Tatiana Jefferson. I hate that this has um, been drug out. You know, if you go back to this podcast, gosh, probably a year ago, yeah. you know, we were, we were, one of our wins was like, hey, we are going to prioritize, like, it seems like the city is going to make this a priority to get this case up and running and for justice to be, to be served, right? Just, just closure. Uh, not, no stance on this thing of just, like, have the case and let's bring closure to, to this story. Um, and unfortunately, that, that hasn't been the case. So, uh, uh, finally looking at the, the trial beginning in December of this year. Yeah, and, and all of this, like, again, it's police unions... And they have an entire system and structure that when a police officer is in the hole for something they did, a mistake, they know how to do this stuff. They know how to keep keep it dragging on, kicking out the judges for being um, biased or whatever. Like this is like this is association union back stack process of when and when any of their guys are seen as the bad guy. We know how to not um, give the the trial, the right case that it needs where, you know, Tatiana Jefferson and their team, you know, has to find a way to compete against that. 
And so you got local associations, local processes, knowing how it works. And, you know, if, if you get a national, um, if Tatiana's, a Tatiana's group gets a, a national judge or like they're not using someone who's from Tarrant County, you just don't know. But it's just like this to me is an example of like good old boy, protect your protect your crew, even when they made a massive mistake. Let's go to wins. Uh, my win is, um, I think it's a cool story just because I fly a lot and American Airlines is one of our biggest employers uh, in the Tarrant County area. The American Airlines group uh, Tuesday last week bought is buying 20 jets from an aircraft maker called Boom Supersonic, becoming the second major U.S. airline to bet on ultra-fast passenger travel. Um, the deal brings Boom overbooked to 130 airplanes, including options valued at about $26 billion. Uh, what's really cool about this, it's American Airlines and United Airlines are doing this, but check this out. You're talking about cutting travel time in half. Going from like Miami to London in under five hours, cutting nearly nine-hour flight time between the cities by half. This is just, you know, we got a while before something like this happened. They're saying first passengers don't happen until 2029, but it's just cool to see that... Um, Man, supersonic travel and jets could be a thing. Yeah, we um, can get to our destinations faster and just stare at our phones even faster, right? <laughs> like, classic, right? Classic. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I thought it was a win for American Airlines. Yeah. Um, innovation story for the the, the Metroplex and uh, go from there. Yeah, and my win, uh, similar in the uh, kind of innovation side, is uh, Fort Worth uh, bringing Wi-Fi, uh, Fort Worth rolls out free Wi-Fi in five neighborhoods. So about 40,000 people who live in Fort Worth can now get free Wi-Fi in their neighborhoods. Um, the initiative was created to promote digital inclusion for Fort Worth residents who lack home internet. And the five neighborhoods are Ash, Crescent, Como, Northside, Rosemont, and Stop 6. Uh, Silas Allen had reported about this uh, first in November of 2020, and the Star-Telegram linked that article in there. So it's cool to see, hey, in 2020 we talked about it, and now in 2022 we're seeing the fruits of those uh, of that labor. So uh, bridging the digital divide in Fort Worth, very cool. Love to see that. It's a big win. Yep, and we're using the American Rescue uh, Planning Act um, that the city won with CARES Act funds as well. So what's cool about that, right, is um, th- th- I remember when having Michael Crane on, they were talking about what are things we can invest in that have long-term benefits that, you know, you don't have to maintain or keep up. So this is really cool to see that in action. All right, beautiful people. Um, well, we um, are done here. You guys have been great. Thank you so much uh, for checking it out. And if you listen all the way through to this end, you are a true rock star wanting to know what's going on. Um, in the lovely city of Fort Worth. Please subscribe, share with a friend, and next week we have Kathleen Brown's interview, um, a candidate, a Democratic candidate who's running for a U.S. House seat in the state of Texas. So we're going to be talking to her and uh, going from there. Peace, love. Have a good one. <laughs>